Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. We're speaking with the founder of the Food Equality Initiative, Emily Brown, to learn more about her project and how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the food allergy community. Emily Brown is an expert at turning adversity into opportunity. She is the founder and CEO of Food Equality Initiative, a Kansas nonprofit founded in 2014 to address disparities in access to allergy-friendly foods. Under her leadership, FEI established the nation's first allergy-friendly and gluten-free pantry. Since then, FEI has become a leader in the movement to increase access to healthy free-from foods and has distributed over $100,000 worth of foods to families in Kansas City, not wanting her efforts to be a simple band-aid to an increasingly widespread health issue. Emily works to increase education, policy change, and civic engagement to create real systemic change in the fight against access to safe and healthy food. Emily regularly shares her passionate experience as a national speaker under her platform, Emily Brown Speaks, promoting all forms of healthy food accesses, including fresh fruits, vegetables, food allergy-friendly options, and breast milk. Active in her community, Emily regularly participates in the Greater Kansas City Food Policy Coalition and is co-chair of Children's Mercy Hospital, Food Allergy Patient Advisory Council, Children's Mercy's Hospital Family Advisory Board, and their Hunger-Free Hospital Task Force, and she is secretary of the Eugene Ware Elementary PTA. Emily resides in Kansas City, Kansas with her family, where she enjoys gardening, cooking with love, and a good book. Emily, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you here today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited about the conversation. Wonderful. We know you're super, super busy right now, so I am just going to dive straight in. Can you share with listeners how the Food Equality Initiative, also known as FEI, came to be such an important part of the food allergy community? Well, I started Food Equality Initiative really from my personal experience with food allergy and food insecurity. Oldest daughter was diagnosed with multiple food allergies at age one. And like many families, we were thrilled to kind of know what was going on, but at the same time, just shocked by, you know, the high cost of the foods that, you know, she needed to stay safe and healthy. And so really through our experience of navigating the emergency food system and WIC realized that there were very few options for families who needed these foods to stay safe and healthy. I've I've shared this story with many people, but I went to a local food pantry, stood in line for, you know, two hours. And when I got in, there were only two potatoes and a jar of salsa. Those were the only safe foods for our family. And, you know, I knew then that this this can't be it. Like we have to do better. This is a medical need. And while we know how critical access to emergency epinephrine is, it's just that it's the emergency treatment. 
and how families keep themselves safe and healthy is by having access to the right foods at the right time and having that education around management. And I was just very committed to making sure that there was equitable access to that so that all families could thrive with food allergies. So that's our humble story. That's how we began. We also have a heart for policy. You know, our work began in working to amend the WIC food packages, which is something we're still working on today. And and policy continues to be a huge part of the work that we do. We're just here really making sure that we can close the gap on some of those, some of those access issues to help families thrive. Going back to the potatoes and salsa, it is so hard to hear this as a fellow food allergy parent, to hear that someone in my community waited in line, went into the pantry, and there are two items that are not going to fully provide nutrition for a child. So it's incredibly hard to hear. But back to that point. So when you were there and they only had these two items, were you able to get like additional potatoes or are there limits on what someone can receive? There there are limits. Most food pantries um, and food banks have, you know, limits on quantities of food that they provide. And most of them are considered emergency food programs, meaning they only provide enough food for two to three days. It's not supplemental, it's not going to sustain you. And so there's limited options anyway, if you're not dealing with food allergy. But if you have that additional burden, it can be very difficult. And I think I've been quoted as saying, particularly during this time and uh, with COVID-19 and the rise of, you know, unemployment and just how so many families are facing food insecurity who never have faced it before. And, you know, if we don't come together, you know, there won't be safe bread in the bread line because it's not there. That's a reality. That's an absolute reality. So now what types of programs or services does FEI offer right now? And also on that same note, what challenges are you seeing because of COVID-19? Yeah. So traditionally, FEI has offered a supplemental nutrition assistance program, meaning We don't provide all the food that families need per month, but it's certainly significant. It's it's more than emergency. And we provide that traditionally through an in-person pantry experience. We used what was called a pantry within a pantry model, meaning we partnered with existing pantries. We provided the food and stocked the shelves and managed the relationship with brands and managed the relationship with doctors because all of our services are prescribed, meaning it's part of the treatment plan. And then our partners would manage distribution, and we supported that through training of volunteers and training of staff. But that way, they didn't have to worry about handling scripts from the doctor and you know, kind of all of those things. And so it, it truly was a partnership. But because of social distancing, and really from challenges that we've seen over the last five years, we moved very quickly to a delivery model. Since March 20th, our clients have continued to receive services during the COVID-19 pandemic, but through direct-to-door delivery. So they're still getting access to that supplemental nutrition program, as well as nutrition education. And so we provide that 
through recipes, through regular engagement with our clients. We have a private Facebook group where we engage with them regularly. And they're just a a big part of our work because we think it's so important for the resources uh, that, that support the community that that is led by the community that's receiving those. So that's a big part of what we do, kind of that peer-to-peer support. And then, you know, advocacy work. We're still involved in amending the WIC food packages and really engaged in any legislative or community-based policies that impact access to food. So... So how big of a staff you have? Because this is a lot of work. I have a vision of you in a truck driving down the road and stocking or packing boxes, but you're also involved in advocacy. And I've been to your website multiple times, and I highly suggest it to everybody. And we'll make sure that the website is provided at the end of the podcast for everyone to see, because there's a lot of good information on there on how to help and how to find help. But who's doing all this work? How many of there of you are there? So we we have a small staff, but, you know, I like to say we're small but mighty. And, you know, we have staff and then we have, you know, dedicated volunteers that definitely help us get this work done. So um, we have a staff of two and a half. Um, it's myself and I kind of manage, you know, obviously the strategic initiatives of the organization and, and planning. And I work with the board and our medical advisory board and, and, you know, kind of the face of the organization. I also spend a lot of time in fund development and uh, the advocacy work that we do. Those are kind of really the areas that I spend most of my time. I'm also engaged in the programming, obviously, um, because we're still very small. So I, I have, I have a hand in, in programming as well. And then um, Aaron Martinez is our director of operations. And so Aaron um, manages Things from finance to all of the logistics of the programming. She manages our internship program. She's my right hand woman. <laughs> you know, she she kind of does it all. And then we have a part time um, marketing and creative director who manages all of our social, manages our marketing interns, does all of our beautiful graphics, and lays everything out for us. So she does all of that work for us. And then we have an army of interns and volunteers. So we became a community rotation site for the KU uh, dietetics program in our area. So we have graduate level dietetic interns that come through and do a rotation with us, eight week rotations. And so what is really exciting about that is, you know, I truly believe in the dietetics field. I, you know, I have a great respect for registered dietitians. And I think they're key in management of food allergy, because particularly when you're removing so many things from, you know, your child's diet or your diet, knowing um, how to make safe and healthy meals and make sure that you're not having nutrition gaps is important. And I think they are underrepresented and underappreciated in the food allergy management, you know, the management of food allergy. And so, but I, the challenge with registered dietitians is that not all of them understand food allergy. They don't get enough training in that area. And so we're just really happy to offer that at Food Equality Initiative. They're able to engage with our clients and engage with our program in an eight-week rotation. And, you know, just to put it in perspective, most registered dietitians, if they're interested in this field, 
throughout their one-year internship, which is really kind of like fellowship, may get to shadow a dietitian who works in that area like for half a day or two days at max. So for us to be able to offer an eight-week rotation is really, really exciting. And, you know, we're helping raise awareness and create, you know, dietitians who can help in this, in this area. So that is incredibly powerful. I just recently interviewed Sherry Coleman Collins. I don't know if you know her. I do know Sherry. She's great. (laughs) Excellent. When we talked about this area, exactly just this topic, you know, nutrition and food allergies, what are we missing? If you're not drinking milk, well, that's a protein source. A lot of people talk about calcium, but that's a big protein source. How are you replacing that protein? I'm so happy to hear that you're able to help your community this way. And it sounds like you're establishing a model for the rest of the nation to look at too. Yep, that's it. And so we're also an office that really, an organization that puts a huge emphasis on learning. Like we're always learning. We're learning together and sharing those learnings with others. And, you know, so having interns who were learning with us and helping us build and grow is really important. So we not only host the dietetic interns, but we also accept service learning students um, and interns from the health sciences program at the University of uh, Missouri, Kansas City here locally. So we're always just thrilled to have learners, you know, work beside us and with us and, and help us help us grow. So you know, when you see me doing this work, it's not just me, there's other people. And then obviously, we have a host of volunteers who are coming in and out. And we're just grateful for the support of the community. You have a small but mighty army, like you said. Yeah. So now with the COVID-19 pandemic hitting us, and it's just indescribable what's happening and what we're going through. And so, like you mentioned previously, some people are moving into food insecurity because of job layoffs and so forth. So now here's a question I have. What is the best way for us to approach our friends who might either be insecure or who might be moving into food insecurity and that we can approach them with dignity and honoring their situation, but trying to find a way to offer support? Showing care and concern. I know, you know, when, you know, my daughter was really little and we were really struggling, sometimes food would just show up on our doorstep. I don't know who left it there, you know, like, and I was just always so grateful. And so I think just showing care and concern, also being, knowing the, you know, the, being cognizant of the cultural preferences and the, not only the, you know, the, the diet preferences or not preferences, the, the diet restrictions because of the food allergy, but also those cultural um, or religious preferences as well. Because I think, you know, there's so much power in food and there's so much of our identity wrapped up in the food that we eat. I'm sure there's probably a food that you eat that reminds you of your mom or your family or, you know, you know, just time together that you celebrate, you know, that you celebrate with your family and things. So we come together around food. We have tradition around food. You know, food has such power. And when you don't have access to food, it is not only that immediate threat to your health and lack of nourishment, but there's also a social loss with that as well. 
because then you can no longer celebrate celebrate in those ways. You can't participate in in the holidays or it's difficult to celebrate a birthday because now there's this additional expense. So I'd say just be mindful of those things and just always be open, being willing to share um, support in a, in a kind way. I appreciate your wisdom and especially bringing up the cultural respect. I mean, we're a Greek Mexican and Persian family. So there are definite ingredients that are our comfort food. And it does have special meaning, you know, or I have friends who are eat halal. Thank you. Some really excellent tips in there that I think all of us can learn from. So now for people who are listening right now who might be food insecure, what would you suggest to them to do right now in their homes? So I would say first, like, I would encourage people to know that asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Rather, it's a sign of strength and great bravery because it takes a lot of strength to say, I need help. And so I always encourage people, you know, when they're struggling, you know, I know that there can be stigma in our communities around asking for help and who deserves what, but, you know, I just always encourage people that actually you're showing great strength. Um, to say that you need support. And particularly now when, you know, there's so much that's out of our control, like that just has happened. So first I'd say, I guess, take a deep breath and say that you're stronger than, than, you know, and that this too will pass and that you will get through it. And then what, and then I guess the next thing is to take action. You know, I encourage people to um, look for resources um, where they may not have looked for them before. Um, I do think, um, you know, if you qualify for SNAP or pandemic EBT, I encourage you to do that, to apply for that, because that is going to be the easiest way for you to access food and have the most control over the food that you are able to receive. Because through SNAP or EBT, you can choose the food you want. You use it in the grocery store just like you know, a debit card. So there's, you know, it's very discreet. And many states are now allowing SNAP participants to redeem their SNAP dollars online through Walmart and Amazon. So you have to check not all states, but many states. (laughs) So I encourage people to do that first, because if you qualify for that, that's going to give you the most support. Then obviously, if you are pregnant, you know, breastfeeding and have a child five and under WIC offers support. Now there are limit there are limitations to WIC, but there are some things that you can receive from there that would be acceptable to a family that's managing allergies. And then, you know, if you have to access services through the emergency food system, I would say make sure you let them know that you have a food allergy, but also know that they're in crisis right now. You know, many food banks and food pantries have lost volunteers and have moved to pre like pre-boxed options. And so there may be limitations there, but just, just know that you're going to get through it. 
excellent advice. And again, I will make sure that all the web links to those resources will be available at the end of the podcast. So when someone goes to find the podcast, we'll have that data there and I'll read them off as well. So I just want to make sure everyone has access to that. So now that you've totally inspired us with your work and what's going on, how can listeners help FEI and how can listeners help their local communities? Yeah, so you can help FEI. I'd say there's three main ways um, to support us. One, I mean, making a financial contribution definitely helps us, you know, lean into our mission and expand our our mission. Um, Five, just $5 helps us provide three meals, three safe meals. And so if you can donate $5, it'll help us, you know, keep a family safe. Also, you can, um, we're doing a campaign right now through Spoken Cares. If you're familiar with Spoken, you know, the app Spoken, they have special offers and deals with brands on the app. And so if you purchase something through those brands on the app, uh, many of them have set up things where they're donating 1% or donating, donating one for one product donations directly to Food Equality Initiative. So I'd say use the Spoken app, purchase within the app, because that can support our work as well. And then I'd say the last thing you could do is you you can send product directly to us through Amazon, through the Spoken app. There's a list of, of things that we're, you know, look always looking for, kind of our most needed items. And you can, you can send those directly to us. And I would say, you know, we are serving families here in Kansas City, but we are positioned to expand into other areas and it's just a matter of, of making sure that we have consistent inventory. So I mentioned that we made some changes due to COVID, but we've officially adopted the delivery model going forward. So we are not returning to pantries after COVID. It is how we're going to continue to deliver services. And, um, and that we're really excited about that because we we believe that that is really going to be the most efficient and effective way for individuals with food allergies to access food during this difficult time. Well, sometimes it's hard to get transportation to get to the pantries and to get to the sources. So I think that's a very appropriate solution to this. And also, too, I just want to point out to listeners on Mother's Day, FACS CEO and President Eleanor Guerra Holding had announced that if anyone wanted to donate to FAC during Food Allergy Awareness Week or month, that she actually asked that the donations go to Food Equality Initiative. So I just want to remind listeners that, you know, if you are motivated and inspired, we would appreciate that. Everyone at FACT would very much appreciate you making that donation that way. We appreciate that, you know, that support from FACT. And it really just takes all of us working together. You know, it takes a village. We've always said this all along and just education, support, food insecurity, everything. It's, you know, all hands on deck. So now, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know about your journey, your mission or FEI or people who are food insecure right now? I guess I would just say that, you know, we're just excited to to serve our community and again just echoing that it it takes a village. I just I did a Facebook or no Instagram live earlier today with Susie from Spoken and she said that you know 1 plus 1 is actually 11 and I thought that was such a powerful 
analogy, you know, between the work that we do. So it, it really, one person can create so much change. And, you know, I've definitely seen that in my life and the work of FEI, you know, it just creates a ripple. And so I just encourage you to, you know, whether you, you want to stand with us on the issue of food insecurity and food allergies, or there's, you're passionate about some other aspect of our community, just to continue to, to push forward because you will see change. Thank you for your good work. We know you're exhausted and working all hours right now during this pandemic. So thank you for that work. And then thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening to Facts Roundtable podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, share, and review our podcast, and be sure to connect with us on social media. You can find us on Apple Podcast, iTunes, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Have a great day, and always be kind to one another.